Welcome, dear one. These are Catalyst Conversations, and I'm Anya, a facilitator and leadership mentor, and the founder and guide of the Catalyst Leadership Immersion. This fall, I sat down to talk one-on-one with members of the 2020 cohort. They are some of the most wise, compassionate, complex, creative people I know, and I'm honored to share them and their work with all of you. Listen in as we dive into honest dialogue about what it means to use our businesses as vehicles for our values, as we show up imperfectly and courageously in our work, in this fractured world, making our way together. My conversation today is with Marisol Cordero Goodman. Mari and I have known each other since we were kids, but it wasn't until she joined the very first Catalyst Leadership Immersion that we got to fully experience one another's work as professionals and peers. She joined again as an apprentice this last year in the cohort, and so we've gotten to deepen into our friendship and our work together. Over these last years in the Catalyst cohort, I've witnessed Mari claim her unique place as an attorney who brings both expertise and emotional depth and capacity. I've seen her commit to the inner work of shedding outdated expectations of what it means to be a lawyer, a professional, as she shows up for her clients with compassion and humanity, creativity, honesty, and a real generosity of listening. Merging her background in counseling, movement facilitation, and nonprofit leadership, With her extensive background in law, Marisol accompanies families as they navigate through some of the most significant transition points they will experience, celebrating life, honoring death, and establishing a personalized legacy of care. If you need wills or trusts or estate planning of any kind, reach out to Marisol. Mari has an uncanny capacity to hold steady in the midst of uncertainty, to provide anchor to what feels unmoored. She also translates the overwhelming bureaucracy of the law in a way that actually makes sense. Believe me, you want this woman on your team. Here's our conversation. Hi, Mari. Hi, Anya. (laughs) I'm really looking forward to having this conversation with you. Thank you. And getting to share you and your work and your amazing vision with the folks listening in. And, you know, Mari, you and I have known each other since I was, I think, three for a very, very, very long time. (laughs) (laughs) And I think sometimes I take for granted just how uh, unique and amazing you are in the world and your blend of experiences and perspectives that you bring to, to the work that you do and how you show up. And I'm hoping that you can speak just a little bit 
I know it's vast and extensive, but to speak just a little bit to some of these unique spheres that you bring into your work, some of your unique identities. Well, first of all, I want to say that I'm delighted to hear that you are surrounded by individuals that bring so much gifts and strengths that it doesn't feel like a stretch to know folks in your life that bring so much gifts with them. Hmm. I, I don't ever feel taken for granted by you. I feel very much celebrated by you. And I'm just happy to hear that, that each individual that you touch in your life makes it more common than not. Mm, thanks, Mari. And in regards to what I bring to my work, I think is that sense of presence that we've grown up with. Our families grew up with the idea that there are, cel- there are moments in our lives that are deserving of ritual. And that ritual, whether it's celebration or that ritual of closing containers, I think that comes into the work that we do, that we recognized that each moment in our lives is deserving of some type of acknowledgement and Mm. come and operate from that place. Yeah, that's so beautiful, Mari. And I just appreciate that reminder because it's it's true. So much of what I do and how I do it is really rooted in the way that you and I grew up and grew up together in community and in this really active sense of community and relationships with other people. And I feel like it's exactly what you're talking about, the the marking of moments and creating ritual. And you and I have kind of grown that in really different ways in our professional spheres. Mm -hmm. But it's so true. Like we both are so influenced by that relationship to community. And when I first went into law, I almost thought that those pieces were separate, that the law was about a perspective of understanding what is considered, and I put in quotation right, quotation wrong, and then learning through the law that that was really nuanced, that that was really separate, that in law you were logical rather than emotional. But the reality comes that each of us filter our experiences through our emotion, our emotion of an experience that makes us happy and feel secure or emotions that make us feel angry and recognizing that we filter our experiences through our emotion. And that's how we, or at least I experienced my world, what was pleasing, what caused me to feel safe and secure in the moment. And my reactions to that came accordingly. And so then I started to see that the two of those really couldn't be so carpet divided to be compartmentalized into different spheres that when we did that I didn't feel true to myself or to my clients Mm -hmm. and so I, I started to think about you know how do I use my skills that I learned going through law school and bring that piece of myself of how I grew up the ritual aspect into the law. It was, it was, a, it was definitely a, a, for the, I say for the first five years of my practice of law, I struggled a lot in that of what I thought I should be versus who I really was and 
started to understand that bringing myself who I am and the way I approach life into the way I approach law, I then settled into a, a different relationship with the law and thus a different relationship with my clients. Yeah, that seems so, so tricky, Mari. I mean, I, I don't know the world of law hardly at all, only mm-hmm. through you and like what I've seen on TV. But I feel like I just imagine that bringing the emotionality into that space and kind of like breaking open the possibility of what it can look like to support clients through deep transitions. I imagine that that was kind of hard or isolating for you as a lawyer in that world. Do you have other models of people doing similar work in a similar way? Or do you really feel like you've kind of paved the way for yourself? Initially, no. I feel like I've had to pave the way for myself. I think what happens in the practice of law, at least in my experience, and again, this is my experience from my perspective, is those who don't fit, don't feel like they fit into what law should be, end up leaving the practice of law. Um, mm. There's expression that happens in the first five to 10 years as attorneys, as we find that it's not congruent with who we are, we leave the profession or we, we don't talk about it. And only recently in the past several years, I've started to talk about it more, started to bring myself more into the practice of law. And what does that mean by bringing myself more? Well, I, I come, and as you know, I come with a counseling background. Um, I worked with families that were identified to have a lot of risk factors. I worked with them. I worked as a crisis counselor. I volunteer for a social service, medical, mental health um, nonprofit in Eugene. So it comes from that background of, I come from that background um, and bring that into my work. But I think it's like asking the question, and and we do this in the work that I do with you and Catalyst is asking the question, who is a leader? what does that really look like? And we all start to rattle off these ideals of what we think a leader is and trying to see where we fit into that picture. Mm -hmm. Um, And the law does the same thing. Say, who is a lawyer? What is a lawyer? Uh. (laughs) And we start to rattle off these things, what a lawyer should be. And when we don't fit up, when we don't stand up to that ideal of what a lawyer is, we feel on some level that we, we failed to be what we thought we should be. And so it's like reexamining what do you think a lawyer really should be? You know, mm. what are, what are, who are we? And can we bring ourselves into that so that we can become, that we can change that idea of what a leader is? Like this whole idea that a leader leads, doesn't fail, sets us up for failure rather than looking at a leader saying a leader is made up of an individual who is imperfect, who when they do they may have good intentions, but when they recognize their impact may be harmful, that leader is able to recognize that and be able to then address that impact rather than hiding or chastising or, you know, hiding from that, saying, well, I failed as a leader, why should I try? So I think it's that same process that I think, going, you know, especially going through the catalyst work has, for me, reaffirmed that I was on the right path of saying, this is how I want to be as a lawyer. Like I understand that there is this image of what a lawyer is out there and I don't fit that ideal image or what I thought was ideal and kind of 
questioning what really is ideal. Will you tell us some of your remade definition of who a lawyer is, who you are as a lawyer? Yeah, I think as a lawyer, I, I move towards more of a practice saying, well, my, who am I? I'm, I'm heart-centered. What does that really mean? That I listen to the emotion, the heart, that maybe what the law says may not be in line with what my client will want. So I try to really listen to my clients, to, to the underlying fears, wishes, and desires, that I listen to them in that. I think another way, um, let me think about this. I think another way is like, so the, So when I say heart-centered, the emotional attorney, the attorney that really, that empathizes and and can relate to the feelings of a client if they're scared or they're angry or they're hurt. And instead of asking clients to brush aside those emotions and just focus on the nuts and bolts, I think there's a space for us to really address those and figure out where those emotions fit into the overall picture. Mm -hmm. Like how can we process those emotions of anger so that we are learning to come from a place that acknowledges and holds that anger and maybe perhaps process through that anger, but we're not making decisions that can affect our lives and the lives of others with anger simmering in the background and have the underlying emotion motivate our actions or motivate our decisions. I think there's a place to, to name it, to point it out, to have a period of reflection of what does that anger serve? Does it serve to protect my client from, you know, a perceived hurt from a family member or a loved one? Is it a defense mechanism? Is it a feeling of just wanting acknowledgement? Like when we start to delve underneath that piece, we start to understand what, what's the underlying need that needs to be addressed and how can we incorporate that in their, in their plan? So I, I don't think it's a mistake or an accident that I ended up working with clients to, to create plans during times of transition. And what do, what do I mean by transition? Well, most of my clients come to me looking for ways to appoint someone to manage their affairs when they are either incapacitated, they're, they just can't make the decision anymore for whatever reason, whether it's medical, emotional, physical distance. There could be so many reasons why you, a person can't make a decision for themselves. And they have to appoint someone else to make that decision for them. And then how do they educate that person? I think to do that, you have to really understand what's important to you and how you want people to be in that moment and what to take into consideration. And so that's where I end up finding myself is to talking with my clients because what they're doing is they're making a plan for a time that potentially is really challenging whether it's a death or incapacity, that time is fraught with a lot of emotional turmoil. And the more that we start to address what that really looks like, the less turmoil there is in that transition period and more support there is for family members and loved ones. I never thought about it quite as like a ritual or a rite of passage, like you spoke to at the beginning of our conversation. But as you're Sharing now, it really, I just feel that sense of you being this guide that is helping usher people through 
some of the biggest transition points in our lifetime with our families. And it's like, I kind of don't understand how there, there couldn't be an emotional space holding. Mm-hmm. And yet I know that so often in these spaces, there isn't, there isn't room for, for the emotional depth. And Mari, I experience you as being such a gifted holder of space and holder of tender and hard emotions. And you have this way of just allowing, like really allowing without judgment. And, and then you also have this wealth of expertise that you bring into the space as well. And, you know, as you kind of break open this notion of what a lawyer is and how a lawyer is, and you find yourself in that, I know that people are also really finding their way to you because they have felt alienated by the process or totally turned off by the bureaucracy. And can you talk a little bit more just sort of generally about who your clients are in the world and how you're connecting with them and supporting them? My clients are recognizing that they want to, my clients are recognizing that they want to be heard by their attorney. They want to be, they want to feel held and understanding that this is a whole area that they don't understand. It, it feels overwhelming to them and they don't understand. They often are seeking something simple, but the term simple isn't what they imagine it would be. I think what, they're, what they end up seeking for is a plan that is in line with who they are. And what I mean who they are is if, if they hold dear family relationships or connections, or let's say, for instance, let's say one of their prized values is autonomy, the ability to make their own choices when they want. And that feels really important to them. Having a plan that is focused on, for instance, tax savings may really eliminate autonomy. You tie everything up and where you don't have any autonomy and then they're stuck with something that makes them feel really constricted and unhappy. I think when we treat our clients as though they can make these decisions for themselves, what they weigh more, for instance, I could say this will have this, for example, this tax consequence, you'll end up paying more, but what you get is complete autonomy. Then they get to decide for themselves what is more valuable to them to pay more for their autonomy or to pay less for less autonomy. Mm. And that becomes about them and their decision. Of course, I can make my recommendation, but it's important for me to, to find for them what's the most imp- important thing for them. If the most important thing for them is security and having maximum amount of value available to them and autonomy makes no consideration. In fact, they want someone else to manage everything for them, but to have oversight, then that gives me a really clear idea. So finding 
what's really important for them and what feels right for them is all the difference. In yes. That. So yeah. like really giving people the information that they need mm-hmm. for the system to work for them in the yeah. best way possible. And, and you're like a translator of the is. system. <laughs> right. And confidence, what works. I've had clients come to me saying, you know, so-and-so told me I needed this. And the more I talk to their clients, it turns out that they don't need it because so-and-so's situation is much different than theirs. For instance, if so-and-so has children from various relationships, their goal may be to really protect their children from the various relationships and not their current partners. And so having things really heavily, you know, regulated and or monitored to make sure that the children are cared for from all the relationships and treated equally from all the relationships is a very different outcome than someone who doesn't have children. And so they don't need the same plan. And so that's the point of me is when I talk with them is giving them confidence in the plan that they've chosen because it's right for them. Mm-hmm. What, but that's the discovery part is clients getting something from someone and it doesn't feel right because no one really asked them what is truly important to you. Right. Yeah. And what an essential question. <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, and I, I want to mention to you that what you've done and created in your offering with the catalyst does a lot of that. It discovers you're asking everyone who comes into that, myself included, which was a process that I intuitively knew, but never really spoke out loud. Like, what's important to me? What, how do I want people to feel when they, when they leave me? Mm-hmm. Which can be da- drastically different depending on my goal. Like for me, it's like people, I want people to feel really heard and secured and soothed feel empowered by the knowledge, but not overwhelmed by the knowledge. So that really informed me what kind of leader that I wanted to be in my offering when I discovered, when I paid more attention to that and the Catalyst program allowed me to pay attention to that. And I think it more than anything, just affirmed that I was on the right track that, you know, like I said, I struggled for a while. Like, am I, am I a lawyer? Should I be doing law? You know, you know, sitting there is that, is that, (laughs) so it was helpful to say, yes, okay, that's right. This is the type of leader that I am and acknowledging and understanding that there's so many different types of leaders out there and we become the best leaders that we can be when we acknowledge and embrace our own strengths and also work on those areas that may feel uncomfortable in a, in a way that feels like a very brave space to do so. Mm. Uh, that, All the yes to that, Mari. Yeah. Yes. yes. To, to try something that may not work and just have a space to really try that out. And so I've discovered more about, I've discovered more confidence in how I facilitate with my clients one-on-one, but also the confidence to understand that I feel like for the first time I'm creating an offering that takes a group. I had a lot of fear around, around that, like, well, how would my liability practice or policy cover this and the shoulds and shouldn'ts and, and at some point had to really work through that fear to understand that what I was offering was really essential and important for any and all of my clients. Um, yes. And yeah. Mari, I have, you know, you were part of the very first Catalyst Leadership Immersion cohort, and now you've been an apprentice with this cohort for the last 10 months. 
And I have seen you and your work grow and evolve so much and definitely experience the confidence that you speak about. And, and I see that and feel that in your work in the world. I'm wondering if you can share just a little bit about these online offerings that you have created that really bring groups of people into this experience that is merging the law and the emotional depth. Absolutely. So one of the online offerings that I'm creating is this, in essence, what I would consider like a love letter to a family member or friend or someone who is impactful in your life. And this love letter is about getting to the root of, again, your values, what you hold dear and how, and how, what this person brings to you, but also the gifts that you see in this person that's different than your own. So it's a, it's a letter of somewhat celebration and ritual. You get to celebrate the, the person that in front of you and you get, this is an opportunity to really tell this person the way that you feel. It's, and so I kind of framed it as kind of like this emotional love letter bequest. So we often give someone a object that is personalized to give them a reminder of themselves. And so instead of giving them somebody a tangible, something like an object kids them, what you're giving them is a gift of words. And most of my clients, when they talk to me, say, well, I like the way you talk. Can you write it for me? And I said, well, what's really most impactful is how you write it using your words. What if I helped you discover what that is? And it didn't seem at first practical, really practical for me to do it one-on-one, the t- my time and expertise versus their time and the cost involved. Um, and so this kind of idea came up of, well, what happens if I am able to facilitate this more in a group setting of discovering, you know, as kind of a joy, a journey of discovery with each other about Mm -hmm. identifying personally for each person, their own words and methods for communicating that both in artistry, both in poetry, but to break it down where any, anyone could do these bits. So that's kind of where the workshop came out of is creating these crafted individual letters and creating these prompts that allow to break it down into little pieces at a time and then taking like this full day of breaking down the letter into small pieces and at the very end of the day reassembling those pieces into a more poetic or artistic format to be able to give to to a loved one but more particularly this loved one often is a complicated relationship. It is either a sibling or a parent. And in there, there's often feelings of angst. So to really be able to identify that, what that angst is about too, like uncovering, where does that angst come from? And how can I address that angst in a way that feels supportive? Or it's that calling out and calling in mm-hmm. portion of how do I address that or bring it up? And then what can I do to call this other person in? Because the idea is that you are no longer around to say these words to this person. That means a lot to you. And for some of my clients, they can't ever verbalize it during their lifetime, which is heartbreaking for me that they never get to say this to their loved ones now. But I feel like once we start practicing it 
in our letters now, creating this bequest letter, it becomes easier us easier for us to actually do it during our lifetimes. So my hope is that when clients go through this process, that they create this letter that they're in love with to give to their to their family members or loved one, but that it also will make it easier for them to say it, little pieces of it during their lifetime, that little piece of I love you more often, or the things that shines bright about you are this, like being able to celebrate and cherish, you know, what brings me joy about you are these following things, and they can start verbalizing them during their lifetime and creating a whole new type of relationship because it's the relationships that makes a difference when it comes towards the end, towards death processes. We feel so uncomfortable with that. And a lot of our grief comes up during with that. And so does our unresolved issues or traumas or whatever that may be identified for a client comes up during that time. Marnie, that is just, it's such deep healing work. It's such deep healing work and thinking about this tangible piece that people will create with their loved ones in mind and heart, which is a gift in itself, but then also the reverberations of how that process then can impact and influence the way that they're engaging in their relationships in life. It's just so so potent and so needed and always. And I feel like especially in this time of global reckoning and pandemic and just where I feel like people are kind of more present with feelings of mortality and loss and transition. What a beautiful, meaningful way to invite people into into this consideration and into this process in a way that's like acknowledging the complexity and the hard parts and also like moving towards something that feels really genuine and loving. Mm-hmm. Will you tell folks, can they sign up for this workshop? How can they find more about you and what you're offering? Well, the explanation of the workshops can be found on my website. There in the middle tab, there's a whole page of workshops and on there is the current offerings that I provide, whether it's online or in person, they're all listed on there. And tell us what your website is. It's www.mcgoodman.com. And it will be workshop tab in the middle and there's all the offerings and there are different subject areas. The letters was one. Another one that I do, which is very targeted is on the Oregon Advanced Directive, which is a legal document that gives an agent the ability to make decisions regarding end of life treatment. One area that is very prevalent now or on the minds and hearts of many folks in our community, this workshop is allows a more detailed consideration about who is your agent, what are their strengths, what guidance do they need, why is the advanced directive set out the way it is, what are the stories that have, in case law, that have prompted this movement in this area of the importance of selecting your agents and telling them what it is that you want And also detailed considerations, the form, if you were to fill it out on your own, 
can sometimes feel a little overwhelming or there's just not as much guidance. So the idea is I prompt questions in that, of what consider. But the other thing is those who attend are also resources. There's a time at the end where they cultivate the resources and they cultivate a resource for each other. And each person holds one piece. And as a collective, when we assemble those all together, it becomes a very powerful document to understand that we each hold a piece and can contribute to the conversation. And I have attended one of these workshops and I have to say it was, it was fun. <laughs> like you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily think that a conversation about advanced directives would be fun, but you brought, you brought so much embodiment and music and laughter into, into that space. So if anyone is considering doing their advanced directive, Take and that came, up with Mari. <laughs> yeah. And that came directly out of the catalyst. One of the other participants, B. Bernadette, mentioned entering into conversations that sometimes can feel challenging with a sense of joy and really named it. I had always known it, but as soon as they said it, I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's what the sense of entering into the conversation that can bring that sense of joy, um, no matter what the topic is. And the joy is the connectiveness of each other in that space and how we support each other in that space and create that, that, that community together and making you feel like you're not alone in that conversation. You're connected with everyone that those universals experiences that we're all having, but we often feel alone because we don't see that reflected for everyone else. So that came directly from the Catalyst workshop. Mari, thank you so much. Will you, will you leave folks with a question that they can ponder or journal or talk to maybe a loved one about? What's a question for folks listening? A question that I myself may want to be asked is how would I want my loved one to feel after being in my presence? What are the feelings that I would love for them to take away? No no matter what is, whether it's in words or the experience, just how do I want them to feel? And then also how do I want to feel? Yeah. Mm. Take that in, taking that on. Thanks so much, Mari. It's so good to talk to you. Love you. Pleasure to talk to you too. Love you as well. Thank you so much for joining us for this Catalyst conversation. I would love to know what's resonating for you or what new questions this conversation inspired. Also, the next Catalyst Leadership Immersion will begin in January 2021. If you're feeling the call to circle up in beloved community, to catalyze your heart work, and to contribute your unique remedy into this fractured time, I hope you'll join us. You can learn more via my website, anyahankin.com, and I'd love to connect over on Instagram. I'm at Anya Hankin. Extra special thanks to my friend Robin Jackson for the music and Brooke Bradford for podcast editing, and to the catalysts who have shared their truth here, and to you for listening in. I look forward to continuing the conversation.